This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. Chandro Tar, Sandy Clough with you. The Denver Broncos get their preseason underway in Arizona on Friday. They had their practice today. Tomorrow will be the final practice, obviously, before the... Uh, I'm sorry, tomorrow. Well, they will not practice. Today was the final practice before the game. They'll travel to Arizona and play on Friday. The news about the injuries uh, yesterday, Brandon Johnson did not practice. Not surprising wide receiver. Right tackle Mike McGlinchey were the biggest concern. Uh, McGlinchey was uh, out doing some individual work, but the uh, word is a sprained knee, and uh, Sean Payton said he'll miss some time. The expectation likely is that McGlinchey will not play in the preseason but would be ready for the opener. I think if you're the Broncos, uh, it's not ideal, but you can certainly live with that uh, from the veteran McGlinchey. You don't want to have any sort of injury that's going to linger. No, and there's no real benefit to playing him in the preseason if he isn't 100%. And even practicing him in the preseason, and we'll talk about the field conditions in Arizona a little bit later, uh, Peyton, may end up, although he says it doesn't make any difference right right now, he may end up shortening the number of plays that starters are involved in Friday night. The, the that detail, may well happen. Yeah, and the detailed answer on McGlinchey, and we'll just tell you, I'll just read it from Sean Payton. He said, with him, it's a knee sprain. We'll keep you abreast, but it's all good. Boom. Uh, obviously, he's out for the entire preseason. Uh, that's and the at hope least is the, uh, the word. He'll be ready on September 10th. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that there's no formal reports on that. You know, asking around and kind of looking around, it makes sense. It also makes sense. You're not going to rush a veteran 32 back. 32 days away. Right. So, I mean, you're not worried about him performing in a preseason game. And the way things will work, uh, it's really going to be the second preseason game that is expected to have enough time with the starters. Javante Williams may be expected to play in that. The starters will presumably play the most. Probably not a lot in the third. If McGlinchey misses, of course, you know, more than a week of time with a knee sprain, and presumably if you say the sprain, he would, then he's out for the, the second preseason game, and then what's the point at that stage? So I presume that the Broncos will be trying to get McGlinchey ready for week one. That would be the move. If he's out there being able to at least do a little bit of stretching and individual work, they're going to take it easy. But, yeah, the, the concerns of the field are, are real. You know, so they've seen videos of it. Uh, this is a field that Arizona has trouble with at times out in Glendale. That Remember, that's the weird... Uh, if, if you if you own a toaster oven, you know, you can pull out the little crumb tray, right, and, and, and clean it out. Or it, That's basically what the stadium is in Glendale. It looks like a giant Jiffy Pop uh, on the top of an oven. And you pull out the crumb tray, but that's where the, the field is on the crumb tray. And they, they take it outside so we can get a little bit of sun. Of course, it's, you know, um, a little toasty out there. And then put it back in. Uh, inside when it's uh, so you can kind of water it so it doesn't immediately evaporate when it hits. In other words, it's a complicated solution to, a, to be honest, rather complicated problem, but it hasn't worked out the way that Arizona has planned it to work ever since that stadium opened. It's never been a good field. There have been complaints about it for years. And, of course, uh, last year at the Super Bowl, there were complaints about the field. Right. Exactly. And so I, I I shake my head if ice conditions in the National Hockey League were as bad as field conditions sometimes are in the NFL. Can you imagine what the reaction would be? They play more of a Bush League. They can't they play in the Phoenix area in the NHL, too. 
So and, uh, I, seems I'm, like that I'm works. Just yeah. saying, the NFL gets a pass on stuff that would not pass mustard with any other sport. If you had baseball fields that were in lousy shape, there would be a hue and cry over it. Yeah, the union would be all over it. I think it's still true. The NFL has the weakest union. Oh, the Players Association? Yes, unquestionably. So I don't say anything, and it's a safety issue. And if I were a starter on either offense or defense, I wouldn't want to play. And if there is any type of injury concern or question, I wouldn't play the individual, whether you're starting or working on second team or third team. Well, here's what Peyton said about it specifically. We'll go out there as best as we can ahead of the game and get an idea of which shoes to wear. We had trouble with the Super Bowl there. I don't know if it's the same field. I know they practice there all training camp. My experience with that field has been firm and fast. It may not always be green because they're getting so much work on it, but it's always been a firm surface that you can run on. We'll pay attention to it when we get there. If we have to change what we're wearing, that's part of the deal. When asked to follow up with that impact he plays, he said, quote, the field, no, end quote. So not going to change anything there, but uh, noted, obviously, that, yeah, it's, one, it's a field that's hard to maintain. Two, it's got a very complicated way in which it's maintained. Three, as you pointed out, uh, it's also the Cardinals' practice field. So, obviously, it does get a lot of wear and tear, and that's on a field that obviously has a really tough time. I mean, um, I guess I don't know if I, – I, I understand if I'm Sean Payton, I'm not going to let the the field dictate what I need to do because I need to figure things out. But I'm watching it because, yeah, one wrong injury to the wrong person and your season teeters because this is not a team that has so much depth that there's a lot of margin for error. And you're right. For for the NFL, the fact, I mean, this should never come up. An, an NFL team. Only the NFL would get away with it. Yeah. An NFL team at most, at most, right, hosts 10 events a season, including preseason. Yeah, there's no ten, excuse for 10 days. Fielding Your field has to be good for 10 shape. days all year. It seems like that should never be a problem. It shouldn't even be mentioned. It should be a given like it is in, you, you say, baseball. Baseball fields are meticulous. I, I, when's the last time you heard about a bad baseball field? I can't even recall the last time you heard about it. It doesn't happen. It's a given that it's a good playing surface, period. Uh, the league makes sure it's ready. And they play, by the way, 162 games. Uh, every team does. So that's 81 home dates, if my uh, quick math is correct. So I don't know how uh, the NFL doesn't get it right, but you're exactly right. For the players, eventually, that really is a safety issue. And and it's a safety issue for the stars, but it's also, let's imagine you're you're one of these young players, right? And you've been, invented, you've been invited into training camp, and you are a borderline, you're a fringe player. Maybe you're going to make the 53, maybe you're going to make the practice squad. But you get hurt, and you don't make it at all. That can be your first look and your last look at the NFL. So I don't, I'm not sure why players don't, when it comes to collective bargaining, look at that much more critically than they do. I don't know if it's just something that slips their mind, but it is silly. We're talking about a preseason game, which is silly to begin with, but we're talking about a preseason game on a, probably an inferior field where your starters, some of whom are making 30 plus million a year, what, step on a bad patch of grass, roll their ankle, and then they're out for a month? I mean, it, it's almost unfathomable that the NFL that makes $11 billion plus a year can't get all of its member teams to get 10 dates per year. 
with a top quality field? That's embarrassing. There's, there's just, a, I mean, the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden, used to be renowned for its dead spots. Yes. I think Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, over time, became kind of a dump. But the ice was fine. In fact, I can't think of a Canadian city to this day that has bad ice. A little bit of pride there. Now, yeah. Madison Square Garden used to have a reputation for having really, really, really bad ice. I think it's gotten better. I mean, nobody raves about it, but it's not criticized. But no arena really holds more events in that building right. anywhere, right. and they haven't right. for decades. Yeah. It's the busiest Absolutely. sports arena Absolutely. in America. Absolutely. Especially late winter yeah. when the circus has come in in the past. What, Billy Joel has to borrow it for a month? Right. Concerts. (laughs) Things like that. Right. Right. Uh, But, yeah, uh, field conditions should be a given in the NFL. There shouldn't be a single field that isn't in pristine condition right throughout the season. For the Denver Broncos, they are going to obviously go with it anyway, as Peyton said. The field's not going to change anything. And I suppose for him, uh, you, you really can't let it. But it's something Broncos fans will probably watch a little bit. The Offense going forward in this game, however short it's going to be, a drive, maybe two drives, you know, 15 to 17 snaps, right? We'll see how that goes. What do you, at least at this point, Sandy, when you're thinking about it as we're a couple days out from the game? We know that Javante Williams isn't going to play. We know Mike McGlinchey isn't going to play on offense. At the moment, that appears to be more or less it when you're talking about the starters. Uh, though, you know, Brandon Johnson, who had been filling Tim Patrick's role as um, maybe or maybe not, but presumably at this point, if he's being held out of practice two days before, I don't think he's no, playing. He's not going to play. Th- these are the guys that didn't play today, by the way. Justin Simmons, uh, Caden Stearns, both safeties. Uh, we talked about McGlinchey. We talked about Johnson. Tight end Chris Manhurts, outside linebacker Aaron Patrick. Cornerbacks Riley Moss, who we knew about the sports hernia surgery. K1 Williams, your nickel corner, and Art Green, uh, depth corner there. The offense, though, is really not missing as many guys. So how good should it look against a defense in Arizona that is okay, but one of his very oh, best players. No. no, it's not. It's bad. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. It's, so one, it's one of the five or ten worst defenses in the league. And one of Depending his best players the last year was now at. on the Broncos. Exactly. Exactly. And they did not replace him. Right? Nope. So, not with uh, uh, yes. better, no. Um, I guess, given all of the hullabaloo over how good the red zone offense has been in practice the last few days, with very few, if any, uh, apart from you mentioning the fact that <laughs> no K1 Williams, no 60% Simmons, no of their concerns. starting secondary, including the starting Green Jackson, had a day off earlier this week. Uh, it, it, it has been out for at least part of that time, if not the entire time. And so I'll be watching for that um, to see how effective they are in uh, the red zone and area among many areas last year in which they did not exactly excel. So I'll watch for that. That's, and that's what I'm looking at too. I'm not really looking. I, I, I am concerned about the running game because I think that the Broncos are looking to basically run their offense the way they'd like, the, the running game is going to set up the passing game. But I guess if we're talking about seeing some of this for 
That, uh, that, that sounds a great. A dozen or more drives. Yeah, I want to see the passing theory. game. Nobody does that. Nobody's ever done it. You don't think Peyton yeah. will be able to stick to it? No. no. Nobody runs to set up the pass. You, you, you pass to get ahead. Then once you have the lead, you run the ball a little more. Uh, I know the Broncos are talking about basing their offense on the run and, uh, you know, maybe throwing the ball 20 times a game. I'll tell you what. They're going to throw more. If they're behind as much as they were behind last year or even close to as much as they were last year, they won't be throwing it 20 times a game. They'll be throwing it 30, 30 If Russell Wilson is healthy and has fewer than 25 attempts in any full game he plays this year, I will eat this bright white hat yeah. that I'm wearing. I mean, it's not, it's not going to well, happen. Uh, you, you know, you, 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 might find, or less? you might find a game or two where you're ahead by so much that maybe you could even take him out of the game in the fourth quarter. Maybe. At some point. But if he plays the and whole game. he wouldn't game, get the 25 passes. It's 25. But if, if he's out there guess, right throughout. I'd say, and, uh, you know, I, I was looking at uh, some of the preliminary odds, uh, game to game, on the Broncos this year. And the, there aren't any games. Not a one in which they're favored by more than three and a half points. Although they're favored more often than I would favor them at this point. But, you know, look at the people who establish these things. At this point, they're doing the best they can do. Right. Um, There are two games where they are underdogs by more than six. And those are games at Kansas City and at Buffalo, and there is no line yet on the regular season finale, nor should there be, with the Raiders in Las Vegas. There's no line yet established on that game. So there are preliminary lines out on 16 of their 17 games, and if you want to hear some optimistic news, they're favored in nine out of the 16 games. They're favored in nine? Yes. They are home dogs twice. Okay. And they are road dogs only five times out of the eight road games. I I, I think they're they're not playing overseas this year, are they? No. So they're back to the, the, the one team they play outside of the NFC North and the AFC East, that they play one last place team in the NFC. And that team would be Washington, which comes in here in week two. So that's the ninth home game. So given the fact they have nine home games versus eight road games, yeah. you, you would expect them to be right around eight, nine, nine, and eight. And the lines sort of reflect that. Now, in Chicago, they're only favored by a point. Uh, the Jets are favored here by only a point. Um, they're one-and-a-half-point favorites here against both Minnesota and Cleveland. And they're a one-point favorite over the Chargers here in Week 17. So, very preliminary, uh, as I say. Uh Playoff odds, plus 175, that's tied for 21st. I think that's roughly where most reasonable people 20, would yeah, have them. The 21st most likely team to make the playoffs? Yeah. yeah. Tied. Yeah, I think with, that's about right. 
I, I don't know. Especially one other team at the, plus uh, the remarkable remarkable depth in the in the AFC. Yeah, I think that's about but, right. Uh, just think about that. But their favorite, and, and it's it's, if you it's just, went just by like favorites, CU. The odds be nine it's and eight. Just like CU, the idea that CU would win five games, six games, they'd be plus one seventy five to plus two hundred on 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 doing that. The Broncos making the playoffs. I mean, USA Today comes out this week and has them winning 10 games, yeah, plus 175 to make the playoffs. Now, I know USA has it figured that they won't make the playoffs. Despite 10-7. going 10-7, yeah. Um, so they're, they're kind of uh, splitting hairs there, right? I think we're, we're, we're going to have them winning twice as many games as they did a year ago, but they still won't make the playoffs. Uh, their Super Bowl winning odds are plus 4,000. That is tied for 16th, which is a little higher than it, I think Your, they your odds of winning the Super Bowl are... Are better than, than relatively speaking. Relatively, yes. Ranking-wise. Uh, Ranking-wise. Ranking-wise. Ranking wise, ranking than wise. even making the playoffs. Than making the playoffs. Would be, yeah, yeah they're, they're at least 20 teams more likely to make the playoffs. And that's a statement, again, about the deputy and, AFC. Yeah, they're only 15 teams more likely to yeah. win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's an AFC statement. That's basically yeah. saying the teams in the AFC in general are stronger, so meaning it's harder to make the playoffs, but if you did, you'd be more likely to win the Super Bowl. And that sort of challenge is part of what the Broncos are going to have to look at when we talk about their chances of, of making the, the postseason. It's because the AFC is just <laughs> yeah, so ridiculous. Well, the whole and AFC is, and the West is, too. Obviously, if they were in the NFC, I'd bet their odds would be around plus 125. Yeah, I actually would think in the, in the NFC that it's a much better chance. It's not where they are. Well, the offense will be what you'll be watching, but the defense uh, has more injuries. So what will you keep an eye on there? Well, the Broncos have a an observer who's uh, handing out some tips that has – uh, a lot of value that the Broncos are being able to borrow over the last couple of days. I'll tell you about that next on Miley Sports. You get you all you want. You don't need no Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Wall. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Broncos' first preseason game happens in Arizona on uh, Friday, last practice of the week this week. Uh, over the last couple of days, Jared Allen, the uh, Viking and chief, and primarily with the Vikings, which he had 85 of his uh, career sacks in 96 games, an uh, extraordinarily effective player for the for the Vikings in particular. Pretty good player for the Chiefs, too. And a pretty good player for the Chiefs. Out of the AFC West. In fact, the thing I remember about Jaron Allen is after um, one game late in his Kansas City career, he was on the verge of becoming a free agent. He sidles up to Mike Shanahan and says, hey, could you please get me out of here make me an offer? Hey, that, and that I walk guess year. if they did make an offer, it wasn't enough for Minnesota. Fifteen beat and a it. half sacks in that walk yeah. year. That's a that's a way to get yourself paid. Yeah. But he has been out at Broncos camp, and uh, Sean Payton has had him uh, you know, kind of out there. He's just as as Payton said it, he's dipping his toe in the water uh, with coaching, and also he finished that he hadn't jumped in the pool yet. But uh, Zach Allen today was out after practice, kind of doing. They were working on a couple things with their hands, and um, it's interesting with Zach Allen, of course. All the stories out of Arizona is he basically followed J.J. Watt everywhere. Smart man. And um, now staying after practice, talk with Jared Allen. I, look, this is, uh, if there's a reason that Zach Allen is likely to break out, 
one, we've we've heard consistently, even through college, the motor. This is a guy that works hard and and doesn't take plays off. But when you are seeking out Hall of Famers or Hall of Fame adjacent players and saying that, yeah, teach me, teach me, teach me. I'm going to watch everything you do. Uh, that, that's a person that I think usually, as long as the physical ability is there, ends up being successful. You mentioned J.J. Uh, Watt. And we both like the concept of joint practices. In fact, we Better both than believe, games. as do a more majority than a of coaches in the National Football yep. League, that joint practices are more valuable. They're even being conducted right now mm-hmm. in some cases. That they're more valuable than any of the games. NFL just hasn't figured right. out how to charge tickets for them yet. That, well, they'll they get will. there. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll get there, and they'll be charging for just uh, normal run-of-the-mill practice sessions soon enough. But anyway, what I remember about J.J. Watt is that he was the most dominant player I ever saw in a joint practice session. <laughs> and the Bronco offensive linemen, I mean, this is back when the Broncos were halfway decent, were, were complaining about J.J. Watt and – I remember he this. said, just because you can't when block he was, me. When he was with the Texans, he was just mauling guys. Right. But he was with Houston at the time. Yeah. I, and, and in his prime, at, yeah. at the height of his powers, and they could not block him. He was unblockable. And he also was one of those guys, certainly in his early years, and in his prime years, you'd move him around. Mm-hmm. Sure. You'd get the best matchup. Right. And he was driving the Broncos crazy. They couldn't block him. And he basically wrecked the joint practice right. session on the, on the one day where they were really going at it. Uh, he basically I, I, the practice. I, I remember that. You remember that? I do, because the Broncos were trying to get some things I, I done. Have, and they I have <laughs> never seen a guy in any practice of any Because they lined him up as an end. They lined him up in the middle like oh, a nose. They put him on the outside as a linebacker. They just put And nobody could do anything about it. nobody could block. No. It was ridiculous. I remember that. So for Zach Allen, who's Ben, I think, I think, most people have seen this regularly have been out there agree has been kind of the breakout player of Broncos camp thus far. Well, I, yeah, I think he has been, I think he's, that's been a great sign player in camp. Yeah. So and on that defensive side, I'm, I'm not sure because of injuries and other things. I mean, Sertan is, it doesn't matter how he practices. He's a terrific yeah, player. Not worried about um, Simmons, whether he's healthy or injured, as long as he's healthy on opening day, uh, he'll be great too. But the, Standout player, the most pleasant surprise in camp so far has been Zach Allen. Sean Payton said that specifically in this game on Friday, he also talked about how uh, Randy Gregory, Frank, Frank Clark have sort of been on, they, they haven't always been participating. Now, Payton talked about this, and as we're still learning in his first camp, that guys that are, are a little older are going to get days. Uh, Kareem Jackson has gotten days. Frank now, Clark's gotten days. 30, right? Yep, uh, Randy Gregory's gotten days, so he's he's lived up to his and, word. And by there. the way, yeah, Garrett Bowles, Garrett Bowles, now who is also so thirty. Why, why would he? Why would he get? Uh, he's, he's a 30. young player. He's thirty-one years old. He's, yeah, he's, he's older than Gregory. He's older than Frank Clark. Right. People forget. Yeah, people he, forget he was. He had a late start, mid twenties when he was drafted. Yeah. So you know, yeah, Garrett Bowles is thirty-one. So yeah, they they get those days, and I, I'm not opposed to that at all. It talked about how uh, trying to get uh, some of these outside guys getting uh, reps outside. He, Peyton refers to them as outside linebackers. Uh, sorry, everyone who wants to, you know, but they're edge rushers. They're edge well, rushers. okay, yeah, call them what you will, but John Payton calls them outside linebackers. Whatever. They're, they're, they're linebackers. They're were, edge rushers. Uh, all the they're same interior thing. defensive linemen. Uh, they're cornerbacks and they're safeties. Those are the position groups now on, on defense. And um, 
I don't I, I don't know how they end up meeting. Do the edge rushers all meet with the linebackers, or do they all meet with the defensive linemen, yeah. or how do they split that off? I I have no idea, but edge rusher is a position uh, to me, and I mean Zach Allen's defensive end, and I suppose technically he plays a different position than let's say Randy Gregory plays, right? Or uh, may or may not play a different position than the one Frank Clark plays. I think it's kind of silly. Well, and that's the talk about too. Frank Clark as a linebacker yeah. when he puts his hand on the ground all the time. The first depth chart Whatever. of the year, which was uh, written as Peyton said in pencil, and and the Broncos released it because they had to. It's an NFL rule, and, and that's where some people looked at it. And at the moment, they have Jonathan Harris as being the uh, the starter opposite of Zach Allen, and yeah. and I think and Jonathan Harris for me is one of those guys that I think is going to make this team. I have him as my leaning is making it. Um, but the truth is that Frank Clark is probably when they actually get to the games and they're lining up, I suspect that Clark is going to be on the other side. Your front three is going to be Allen Jones and Clark. Well, they, they presumably Clark is a strong side outside. Linebacker, right. 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 That's what they do at the moment. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that ends up being the case. The weak side and that would be Gregory mm-hmm. and Jewel and Singleton, obviously, uh, in the middle. But if Baron uh, Browning, I think uh, Sternad and Sanders will make the team. Sternad strictly a special teams guy. Yes, uh, Sanders. I, I still say Sanders has a chance. Uh, by the end of the year, I think he'll by the start. end of the year to be starting ahead of either Singleton or Jewel. I agree. I who think turn into year, he'll be a starter, run stopping specialist in a league where people generally don't run the ball a whole hell of a lot. Right, and, and the tackle numbers aren't necessarily enough. But I, I think when Baron Browning is healthy, you see Baron Browning in that strong side role, and Frank Clark is playing with his hand down on that line. So, you know, how that happens, we'll find out over the course of the next few weeks. But that's kind of where it stands at the moment. But the defense in this preseason game, and the defense has been pretty good. Now, I think you, Sandy, have done a great job over the last couple of years, quite frankly, but even this defense over the summer, uh, pointing out why some of the Broncos' defensive rep is a mirage. Not all of it. not saying it's a bad defense. But people look at it and say it's a great defense, and it's I think not. you've pointed it's, out it's, it's not, not a great, great defense, defense, and you have very and good we, we talked about so. the efficiency numbers yesterday. They ranked 10th in the league, which is not terrible, but there were bad teams who were better defensively than they were. We talked about them yesterday. The Jets weren't a particularly good team because they had no quarterbacking last right. year. They had the fifth-ranked defense on DVOA, the football outsider's metric for efficiency. On on defense, the Saints were eighth. They weren't any good. Uh Sean Payton's first year where he's technically under contract with the Saints but not actually coaching them. And turned out to be the only year. And uh, who else was up there? Uh, New England, the Jets, and New Orleans. And New England was number three. Right. And they were all. And all of those teams missed the playoffs. And, and, and that was my point that if you're as bad as New England, the Jets, New Orleans, and yes, the Broncos were last year. It, it ain't because of your defense. In fact, the three defenses we're talking about were all better than the Broncos' defense, and the Bronco offense is, of course, worse than the other three offensive teams, which is why those teams won more games than the Broncos won last year. The Broncos finishing, of course, at 5-12 and 12 and dead last in the AFC West. So they can have a top 10 defense in the league, but unless the offense at least gets into the top 20, 
it, frankly, Sean, it's not going to make that much difference. And in fact, I would suggest that their offense doesn't necessarily have to be as good as the defense relative to the rest of the league. Right. But they, they've got to be at worst 15th, 16th, middle of the pack for them to be really any threat at all to any, if you don't have a top 20 offense, I don't care how good your defense is, unless you're Kansas city was 17th. That's about as low as you can get on defense. And their offense, of course, is number one. Right. That's about as close as you can get to being even mediocre on defense and still have an offense that can carry you, as offenses often do, to the Super Bowl and allow you to win the game, which naturally in the Super Bowl was a high-scoring game in spite of Vic Fangio's counsel to the Philadelphia Eagles defense. And Vic Fangio had a pretty good record here as a head coach, not in beating the Chiefs, but at least stopping them a fair amount Keep, of the keeping time. Keeping them from right? yeah, completely okay. running up the score. Well, whatever yeah. he had to say to the Eagles didn't work because the Chiefs shredded the Eagles as much as they shredded any defense all year long. The Broncos and the Eagles had a hell of a defense. Generated in the last two seasons, the Broncos have generated 42 turnovers. That it's just not enough. It's uh, not it's, even close to being not nearly. That enough. number needs to be closer to sixty this year. That's another factor. That's twenty first. That, that you've got to be twenty first. You've got to be, in my view, somewhere between plus ten and plus fifteen. Yeah, and I'm trying to go in away the from, AFC from the, to be a playoff team. from the uh, the turnover differential in this case because we know the offense has been bad. But it's but how many turnovers has the Broncos defense directly generated? And they've been twenty first over the last two years. So. I, I talked about this yesterday that the defense this the NFL now isn't worried that the Broncos finished uh, seventh, for example, in yards per game surrendered. That's not it relevant. Doesn't mean anything. It's irrelevant. Uh, you're needing to generate turnovers, and the Broncos have to be better at doing that. Uh, last year they had the the 23 total takeaways over the last few years. Uh, it's been uh, a grand total again of, of 42. So over the last over the last two seasons, two 20, years. yeah, over the last, yeah, which, which I mean, that's I, 21 I a year. Over those two years is basically a it's, it's more it's, or less it's, the you've same. You've got to be right around 30 a year, and, right around 30 if you're good. And that's where I, th- I think there's um, a, a challenge for this team to get into that. And then on Friday, look, you're not going to have Justin Simmons. You might not have a, a handful of guys based on who's not practicing. Well, I don't think this you have week. Williams. Not, right? I, no, I wouldn't think so. He hasn't practiced in a couple of days. And Jackson, you if you to, have him. You may he, not have Caden Stearns. Right. Probably won't have probably him. Probably won't have Stearns. And it, with Jackson, I, I, I would think if he does play, it would be one series, maybe. Yeah. I, again, with, you're talking about the... Um, you know the, the the age there. What why? What do you need to know about Kareem Jackson? You, you know what you've got is Kareem Jackson, especially so, on a bad. Field. So defense. Do you? Do we care what we see on the defense, or is it mainly no. just about generating a pass rush? That's what you like. Well, to see? yeah, yeah, I guess because for the most part, and, and, and those like guys are reasonably somebody healthy. Jump out and, and get specific about this. I am very skeptical about all the Nick Benito talk. It's it's great. I understand he's. Next to Allen, perhaps been as I, I noticeable think good, as any defensive player. But practice player. is practice. But it's practice. Yep. And if well, I, I want to, not just Friday night, I want to see for all three games because he's going to get some run mm-hmm. with the injury to Browning. Right, right. He'll, he'll get some. I mean, you're not going to play time. Clark and Gregory no, that no, much at their not. ages. They, no, they, it makes no not sense. Play a lot. So I, I want to see if he is 
as impressive in the games, and not just against Arizona either, in all three games, I want to see if he is as impressive as he's looked on the practice field. That's a good That's the that's one, a good one to look guy at. on defense I'd be watching. Because he is something of an X factor for the Broncos pass rush. Right. If he if he looks like a second round pick that's that's on the rise, that changes the way the Broncos pass rush looks. It, I, it does. Yes, and Jeff Legwell pointed it out the other day and we've talked about it ad nauseum that there's a difference between potential and production. And you can talk about potential until you're blue in the face. And the Broncos have all but done that the last six, seven years. Talked until they're blue in the face about the potential player X, Y, or Z, A, B, or C. And there's never production to match the projections on how good a player can be. We want to see production. And Jeff Legwell made the point the other day when it comes to the uh, edge-rushing position, It's all about potential, and almost none of the conversation has anything to do with production, even with respect to the two veterans, Gregory and Clark, who haven't been over the last four years anything to write home about. And that's why Gregory isn't playing for Dallas anymore when he asked for a lot of money, and they wouldn't give it to him except under certain very stringent conditions that he didn't like. And then you have Clark whose last good year rushing the quarterback was 2018 when he was playing for Seattle, not even Kansas City. He did not have any particularly good seasons with the Chiefs. He had some good games, but the Chiefs were more than happy to let him go. Well, and you're aware that Chris Jones is soaking and up the double teams. Especially Chris Jones is, is the guy drawing double teams that Frank Clark wasn't always getting. Broncos Almost will have to be better at that. Of course, uh, Sean Payton and the Broncos did release their first depth chart. For uh, for some, there were surprises. We'll take a look at those and see if they should be surprises. <laughs> I'm, I'm searching for put some it, guys Put it this here. way. And maybe it depends on... Um, first string, second string, third string, fourth string, oh, fifth string. Yeah. How surprised oh, you are wow. may depend on what radio show you've been consuming. So maybe not as much for you. We'll go over it next on My Life Sport. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And you couldn't swing a movie around in the 1980s without Kenny Loggins having a song on it. At least one. The Denver Broncos have their uh, unofficial, as uh, I went and printed it out, that says right on top, unofficial depth chart, as Sean Payton made it very clear the day before that it was uh, written in pencil was his quote, and uh, it also made it clear the only reason that they have it is because it's um, required by the NFL at this point, but well, it, it might help the announcers too, and it helps announcers because the, you have to have to give them some uh, framework to to yeah. to deal with here. And and I think none of this was really a surprise. I look at it and say, oh, in pencil, yeah, but it's quite frankly almost exactly what I expect. <laughs> if you uh, were there any, if you are watching this, if you have the, one uh, surprise on either yeah. side of the wall. The I mean, I'm, sports... I'm looking around and. I guess I would say 
tight end on offense was a little bit surprising that Troutman was Troutman ahead, ahead of Dulcich, okay? but not a shot. But on defense, I mean, Jonathan Harris at defensive end, well, they have Frank Clark listed as an outside right. linebacker. Uh, and, otherwise, and is, not is a single surprise. Uh, not at all. Although, at starting safety, it is Kareem Jackson slash right. Caden Stearns. Caden Stearns. We're back with the slashes again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we hadn't had the slashes in a few years. I don't think Hackett had them. I can't remember if Fangio did. I, I'm pretty sure Hackett last year didn't have slashes on the first uh, depth chart release. Uh, but now we're back to slashes. Vance had them. Yeah, Vance, Vance had them. Yep. Vance was big on the And, you know, um, Vance just was the defensive coordinator. So maybe there's your cream jacket. By the way, the PR PR guys uh, going back decades have always been the ones. The PR guys have made out the depth chart. Now now they they hand them to the head coach or the head coach and the coordinators. And they look at it. And if there's anything outrageous, they'll change it. But they, they give it a cursory glance say, that's okay. Jim Sakamano did it for Dan Reeves uh, for years. I imagine Sacco did it for Wade Phillips and maybe even for Mike Shanahan. Uh, Sacco was never, as far as I remember, because we talk about it, I'd kid him about it, as a what's your depth chart look going to look like. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it, I, I don't remember Jim ever telling me that he was uh, admonished ever by a coach or had any of his depth chart choices on the first unofficial release challenged or changed by any coach? We could see any polls like Patrick Smythe, like you Jim just, Sakamano. You depth. just explained the uh, the magic trick to everybody. Look at that! It's like, it's like doing the Penn and Teller thing. I, I think most about all this fans works. know that coaches don't make out depth charts. Um, I bet you people. Uh, at least you a lot the first does. one in but, training but, camp. Yeah, this, this first one. Look, it's yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, not really a situation where there's a lot of surprises. And you, th- what happens is sometimes you see, like in the cases I, I, where I did they intervene. at a few of them. But uh, coaches will hop one. in on a couple things like this. Yeah. The, the a kicker, it's Elliot Fry slash Brett Maher. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, let, let me explain slash. how this is going to go. Brett Maher is going to be the kicker of this team because he has the ability to be one of the better kickers in the league. But when he had and he ga- was last year. When he had the game with Until the hips in Dallas. In the playoffs, he wasn't. And the Broncos <laughs> hope that Mar gets it right. Yeah, the yips. Yeah, yeah, the yips. And, and maybe for just one game too. Although Broncos I, I will find out. He looked shaky against San Francisco too. But the reason there's a flat a slash is very simple. the The Broncos want and expect Mar to win the job. If he looks like he's got the yips, then Fry's going to take the job. Right. And if Fry can't hold it down, by the way, look, the Broncos have been Broncos fans. We were talking about it during the break. They've been kind of spoiled, not worrying about your kicker very often. No, I mean, in my no, in my I, lifetime watching they, the Broncos, had you've had McManus, run. Elam, uh, Rich Carlos, Jim Turner. No. And, well, uh, I, I mean, I'd go back good. to Bobby Howfield. Uh, the Broncos had a lot of problems. Long-term kickers. In the late 60s, early 70s, right? And, and throughout the 60s in the, in the AFL. Place kicker, starting with Gene Mingo, right. was never one of their problems. In fact, it was the only strength they had. Offense, defense, special teams, they had excellent place kickers and some very good punters. Jim Mingo was the, the running back simultaneously yeah. on top yeah, of that. But he was a place kicker. Yeah. So that, that's, but that's what the slashes are for. You, you don't want to make it. You, sometimes the slashes are sending about sending messages to 
players or to even the media types to say, hey, this is where we actually have a position battle. Uh, Caden Stearns and Kareem Jackson might as well be co-starters because it is health permitting. It's going to depend on the kind of play that they're dialing up. You know what's weird? That the younger player has had more injury problems than the older player has had. I I don't think Kareem Jackson uh, was the same player. And even, even in 21, I didn't think he was as good as he had been uh, when he first came here, but he plays every snap. He's never hurt. And he plays a hard hitting game. He does. He's a physical guy. And he's never hurt. And Caden Stearns, who I think is a perfectly serviceable player, but he's hurt all the time. It seems like it. It certainly Younger has been a concern. Player, he's always hurt. So no no big surprises, I don't think. Uh, Riley Moss, we know about, is, is being out for a while. Right. listed as a backup to Damari Mathis And Mathis is going to beat him out anyway. Oh, yeah, he was. But I'm a little surprised to maybe see Moss already elevated to second when a veteran like Tremont Smith was ava- available. Well, but I think yeah. it shows what the Broncos feel about it. Jaquan McMillan, the backup to Sertan, listed on this depth chart. Well, the yeah. cornerback I mean, depth is, uh, nickelback. is interesting because, you know, nickel corner listed as a separate position. He's saying Bassey backing up Kwan Williams there. But the uh, the safety one is interesting. How about Turner Yell backing up uh, uh, Justin Jones, Simmons? Yeah, yeah. and and, and PJ Locke backing up. And in part uh, because Stones. you aren't necessarily going to put PJ Locke as the backup to both, which he may very well be. Yeah, and uh, we'll find out yeah. what they like at the six round pick, JL Skinner, as it goes too. But you'll see how some of this goes. The the one that seems to stand out to people, though, I honestly <laughs> cannot tell you why it's a surprise. I, this is the one I laughed at. I have no idea why people are surprised. I, I, I laughed at not because it, it's it, it in was the tight ridiculous, ends. but because it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Adam, as we said, Adam Troutman is the starter. Actually, Adam Troutman's been really good in this camp. And when you talk about the ability to block, which is under Sean Payton, and you know they like Manhurts, extremely important. And you know they like Manhurts a lot. So that's three right there. Yeah, Manhurts, Dolchich, and Troutman are making it. And I, I told you that earlier this week. Those three guys are going to make it. Now, how many tight ends are you really going to keep? Well, you can keep the next one on the depth chart, which is. Not the guy you're thinking. Not the guy who's Fourth on the depth chart is Nate Adkins. Fifth on the depth chart, or tied for fifth with Tommy Hudson, who you might not recognize if he was in the same room with you, is fourth-year tight end Albert Okwe. Uh, I would not have any idea who Tommy Hudson is. Who, who have uh, Albert O, I would recognize. But I've, uh, Albert O could not be lower on the depth chart. We've been telling you is. this all summer. Well. As soon as I mean, we've been telling you this yeah, for, years, for a while. As but as soon as fact. Sean Payton came into town, Albert Okawavenom's days were numbered. Albert Okawavenom runs two routes, two a fly route and a wheel route. He does not block. He has actually even not shown a tremendous he, amount of interest he has in learning version to, to block. It's almost like he's allergic. Greg Dulcich makes the effort. Is he a good blocker? No. Is he willing to try and at least get in the way? Yes. For Okawavenom, that really hasn't been the case. Uh, but they're telling Dolchich, you, you, you got to start blocking. And that's what no, the second on the depth chart means. Right. That's what that. That's where that is the message being sent. You want the starter job, you need to block more because that's going to be part of it. It's also maybe worth noting that the way this is aligned, if you look down the columns, the Broncos' default personnel, at least in this, is 21 personnel. Two running backs, one tight end. So power allotment with Michael Burton, the yeah, fullback. I, I think they'll have multiple tight ends a lot. I do too. This year. And I, I, I really don't I, I think Burton, with all due respect, is a special teams guy. I think and, they'll and use him in short yardage. Hear, quite a good one. Yes. And they'll and use him in maybe, short yardage as a block. Maybe back, in short yardage. But he's not going to play that much in a lot no, of scrimmage. But I do expect a lot of, of, of 12 personnel from this team. And as we said, and I I always like to explain that because you know, you hear that thrown around and um 
someone wants to sound really like they're into the football world. Go, oh, well, they're an 11 personnel, a 12 personnel. Okay, it's very simple. They're, they're, they're not actually numbers. They're digits. The first digit is the number of running backs on the field. The second digit is the number of tight ends right. on the field. So 11 personnel would be one running back, one tight end, and that would mean, of course, with five linemen and a quarterback, three wide receivers. So a three-wide right. set. You can call it that, or you, you can call it 11 personnel. You will not see as much three wide I don't as you think have you in the will. past. You'll see it, because everybody uses it. 12 personnel, obviously, is the one yeah. one running back, two tight ends, or we might call a heavy, or even 13 personnel on short yardage with yeah, three tight ends. They and they will use at times. Yeah. And, of course, as you can imagine, if they really, you know, they can also go 22 on short yardage, two tight ends, two uh, running backs, one of those being the fullback. Yeah. So that that's what all that means, by the way. Well, in case you've heard that say, well, about, no one's ever zone. explained it to you. See, see how they uh, handle it? And I, yeah, short I, yardage will be Last year, yeah, you won't have, I, I, I imagine Javante I'm like Friday. a lot of fans. I've, I've sort of wiped that from their memory banks. But was it, it was it two years ago? I, think, I don't think it was last year. I won't lay this one on Hackett. It's their first preseason game. It might have been as far back as 19. Fangio's first year? The first preseason game. And they had first and goal at the three-yard line. And I think they threw on the ensuing three downs at least two passes. I, I don't know that they passed on all three. But I think on the last two, at least the last two, they threw the ball. And I'm like, it's preseason and you're throwing the ball on goal to You know go? what? That was that was 2019 Fangio's first year because that was uh, uh, Joe Flacco, quarterback, on that early yes. drive. I remember that. And they were throwing it. Remember the coordinator? The offensive coordinator that year? Rich Scangarello. Right. And it's who one quickly, year. Uh, who yes. quickly became so petrified by Vic Fangio screaming at him through the headsets like a deranged uh, talk show caller, uh, every time an offensive play failed to work, he'd be screaming at Scangarello through the headsets. And this happened during the regular season. I'm not saying it happened during the preseason, right? although it might have. Uh, he became virtually paralyzed with fright to the point where yeah. he couldn't call the next play. Get and another time. assistant who was sitting up there in the booth had to come down and say, "Hey, why don't you try this one?" <laughs> had to point to a play on his on his play chart. Did not um, go. It did that. Did well, not go well. No, that did not go well. The, the The irony was though that Drew Locke playing in an offense whose plays were called by Rich Scangarello was never better. Then he was, and he wasn't great, but he was never better than he was in December of 2019 with Rich Scangarello going to place. So even as the Broncos were pronouncing on scant evidence that Locke had proved himself in the final month of the season to be the quarterback of the future, the first move they made in the offseason was to fire the offensive coordinator who had worked all fall with Locke when he was on injured reserve and couldn't play and had worked with him as if he were an active member of the team. And if he did one good thing here, it was working well with Locke. And at the end of the year, this is the Broncos uh, over the last six years. 
they have, they think, their quarterback of the future, and the first thing they do in the offseason, and this is all Fangio, is fire Scangarello, who is the man most responsible for developing Locke so that he could play reasonably well down the stretch during his rookie year. And after Scangarello, Locke wasn't worth a whatever for any other coordinator. And there were a whole bunch of them. Scangarello, by the way, last year did the one and done thing again when he was uh, the offensive coordinator at uh, Kentucky, f- hired and fired in the same 2022 calendar year. Does not have a job right now, yes, but don't cry for him because uh, his buyout, which will run all the way through June of 2025, was $2.6 million. So, at uh, Kentucky? Yeah. So enjoy the uh, okay. enjoy the break, all I right. guess. So uh, you know. Didn't he go back to the 49ers? He immediately went back to the 49ers And then he went to Kentucky because Kentucky gave him the coordinator job. Right. And he lost that. He lost that after the first but year. So maybe got the bag though. Maybe they weren't thrilled with him at Kentucky. Although I don't know if they not. yelled at him in in a headsets you know, if he's up in a press box or he's down in the field. Don't pay place. someone two point six million to go away unless you're really a problem. It's a tough job though. I mean, I know Kentucky's better. Oh, I thought you said getting fired for two point six million. I'm like, sign well, me no, up. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm I, I'm saying that's it's a tough job because Kentucky's one of those schools that uh, you know John Calipari was rather impolite a year ago when he said, hey, Kentucky, even when the football team was good, we're a basketball school. Yeah. Uh, which offended the football coach, but it was the truth. <laughs> because Kentucky, over time, will be one of those schools lopped off. You watch. Mile High Sports, SEC. Cody Rourke, who's lit basically all of it, lives at Dove Valley, will be joining us uh, to talk about the Broncos. We'll hear from him next.